This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Christ is risen! Alleluia! All right. Couldn't miss that. I invite you to rise as we hear the account of Jesus' resurrection. Today we hear it from the Gospel of Matthew. After the Sabbath, the first day of the week, the first day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. For fear of them, a guard shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he's been raised from the dead. And indeed, he's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. And this is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came to him and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid Go and tell the others to go to Galilee, and there they will see me too. Holy wisdom, holy word. Please be seated. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Grace and peace through Jesus, risen from the dead. Amen. Some of you know we are blessed to have a pretty strong connection with Trinity Seminary. And one of the gifts of that is to do some thought from time to time about what is it that we do as pastors and why does it matter. And uh, I read recently this, this little thing I thought was helpful. It was for pastors as they thought about the very first funeral that they were going to do. It was advice for pastors. And I thought this was pretty good advice. Uh, all it said was, if the body moves, the funeral's over. Early 18th century, uh, because of war and famine and pestilence, uh, cemeteries in England and lots of Europe started to fill up, and there just wasn't room for everybody, so most of you who have traveled there, you know what they decided to do. You see it all through Europe. They decided to just dig up the caskets and dig deeper and then start stacking them on top of each other. So in really old cities throughout Europe, you'll see people stack three, four, five, six times. Well, what they found is when they opened some of these caskets, uh, really horrifying to find, uh, two to three percent of the caskets had inside the coffin uh, scratch marks, uh, fingernails. In some cases, the bodies had turned themselves around even inside the casket. It was statistically something like one in 30 people had been buried alive. Now, naturally, that started to set off a major panic um, and the phrase buried alive became part of our vocabulary in the, the mid-1700s. And a whole lot of things that we understand and words that we know come from that, that event. Um, 
The original idea behind awake, we now call that visitation. The idea behind awake was that your family would gather and be next to your body so that if you moved, they would see it and they would not bury you. George Washington was so afraid of being buried alive that he put into his will that he did not want to be buried for six days until after a doctor pronounced him dead. And the fear was so prevalent that somebody invented a device that tied onto the hand of the person who died and had a string on it, and it went up to the ground, and it was hooked to a bell. And if you came back to life, you would move your hand, and and the bell would ring. Now, I'm not making this stuff up. This this is history. In 1895, a guy named Franz Herman wrote a whole book about it, recorded over 700 incidences of people who had been buried alive and who were literally, now this is where the phrase comes in, they were saved by the bell. Okay? Which is where that phrase comes from. Uh, And the phrase graveyard shift, graveyard shift is when they hired somebody at the cemetery to sit in the cemetery and listen at night in case they heard a bell and they would know to ding it up. And when nothing was heard from the person after a number of days, you would say that the person is at the end of their rope. Hmm. Now, that was a long time ago. Um, And today, modern medicine, mortuary science, that that, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way anymore. And my guess is there's not a single person here who's afraid of being buried alive. However, I'm pretty certain that there are a lot of people who feel like they're buried alive right now. Uh, Weighed down with who knows what, debt, uh, problems, buried under hurts and pains, inundated with stress and anxiety. I think there's a pall of grief over a whole lot of what's going on in our our public sector right now. Some have called it a spiral, a spiral of death, gloom. And surely you felt that way. It's, It's hard sometimes to be honest in a church, but... I have. I felt like I've been suffocating before, like nothing I'm doing right now is seeming to work or like I can't get enough air right now. Surely you felt like you're being buried under things. And I would bet that the number of people who feel buried right now is way bigger than one in 30. Now, Matthew's version of that first Easter has Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and those are the two, but we don't know who that other Mary really is. Two women, and they are on the graveyard shift. That's what they're doing. Luke's version says that they're coming with spices to prepare Jesus' body. There's a lot of of differences in the versions, but the one consistent is that it's early in the morning, it's a pre-dawn kind of darkness, and it's on the first day of the week. And as they are sitting there on that graveyard shift, They don't hear a bell. They hear an earthquake. They feel an earthquake, a shaking, literally, of the ground. And then they they see an angel. Matthew says, descending from heaven, who rolls away the stone and then sits on the stone. Here's what I think is so very interesting about that. The, The angel doesn't roll back the stone to let Jesus out of the grave. The angel says why, roll back stone. The angel doesn't do that. It's because they want the women to look into the tomb. I forgot uh, recently uh, when we, we named our children's choirs, one of them are called the cherubs, and cherub means angelic. And, and that, that's a great name because we think kids are cute in that sense. But in the Bible, whenever you see an angel, it's not cute. The very first thing when an angel gets, the angel says, do not be afraid. 
when angels appear to the shepherds out on Christmas Eve, the very first thing they say to the shepherds is, do not be afraid. So Matthew says that here are Mary and Mary, and they're sitting beside this tomb, and they're sitting there with great fear right now, because they've seen an angel, and they've also seen an empty tomb. And, you know, it takes a little while to process something like that. Uh, an empty gas tank means you're not going to get much further. You're going to run out of gas. Uh, empty wallet means you're out of money. Empty stomach means you're about running out of juice. Empty mind means you're starting to lose it. Empty tomb means empty tomb. And the angel tells him, I know why you're here. Look inside the empty tomb. He's not here. He's, he's risen from the dead. And I want you, I want you to go from this tomb, and I want you to tell the rest of the disciples that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and you're supposed to get out there in Galilee, and he's going to appear to you as well. And that's exactly what happens. Let, let history proclaim that. That is exactly what happens. And we're going to talk about those experiences of the risen Christ in the next few weeks, in the seven weeks of Easter. And I'll give you this preview. This changes everything. This resurrection changes everything. They come to life, the people, in the resurrection narratives. Real life, resurrected life, abundant life. Suddenly for them, death is like something that doesn't exist. The devil doesn't have any power over them anymore. And hope that God is doing something in the world is restored. Because this event, the resurrection of Christ, changes everything in their life. And it all starts, this whole story starts with these two women then. And they run, which, you know, that's an interesting way to think about leaving church. They run out of the, to share good news with other disciples. The good news about an empty tomb and a risen Lord Jesus. The angels say, go quickly. And Matthew says, they quickly go. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence. I, I want to throw this out here for just a moment. Um, I think it's a coincidence that when you obey God, you suddenly meet God. There's a lot of discussion at Lord of Life Church about whether we're having a second go-round of buddy bags, and in particular, whether we would do it during Holy Week and we'd do it during Easter. Because there are a lot of people that are concerned about, wow, Narthex is going to be filled with canned goods and all kinds of stuff like that. And it didn't take us long to realize that Jesus once had a conversation with his disciples where he said, well, when did, you, when did we feed you, and when did we welcome you, and when did we house you? And he said, well, whenever you did to any of the least of them, you did to me. And so we we just started to realize that whenever we reach out to our neighbors with love, we meet the risen Christ. Whatever we do to our neighbors, we do unto the risen Christ. So Matthew says to these two women, go out of here quickly right now. And they do. They go with fear and with great joy. And as they're doing that, suddenly Jesus meets them. Jesus, crucified, died, buried. That Jesus who welcomed and loved so radically that the world killed him. That Jesus who died meets them, risen from the dead. And let me just say this very clear. Funeral over. Funeral over. What do you do with that now? What will you do with that information? I mean, on the one hand, I know what we're prone to do in our culture. We can quibble about the details. And I know that sounds kind of funny, and maybe I'm overstating it, but... It's exactly what I mean. I think we can quibble about all the little historical details, and you can dismiss it as some kind of idle tale or psychological crutch or religiosity gone wild. But I, I want you to throw this out here for logic for you all. Since none of us in this room have died, whatever we believe happens when we die, that's exactly what it is. That's what we believe. 
not what we know. And you can dismiss this as idle, but like it or not, we, we put our faith, our lives, our trust, our hope, our present day in either a sense of permanence and pervasiveness of death, that this is all there is, doesn't matter, or we can put it in life-giving power of a loving and gracious God who's even now restoring people from the dead. I know you've heard the phrase couch potatoes. I'm liking a phrase right now called tomb potatoes. People like, who feel like they're buried alive, they're under all this pressure, all this grief, all this negativity, but ultimately when you kind of put it to them, yeah, 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 they're, but they're just more comfortable with the familiarity of a tomb. Uh, you know, in a tomb, being honest about this, nobody bothers you, nobody insults you, nobody hassles you. Nobody asks you to explain anything, believe anything. They don't ask you to take any risk. Frankly, that's why it's a lot more comfortable to have a social media life than it is to have a real life. Sometimes it just feels easier to stay dead, to stay in the tomb, rather than to risk the risen life that Christ has given us. And I want to be very clear about this part. Christ rose from the dead whether anybody in this room believes it or not. And God's love is real whether we believe it or not. And it doesn't hinge on the least bit on, on what you or I or anyone thinks about it or believes about it or says about it. Those two Marys, that first Easter day, they did not take an opinion poll. They don't consult a panel of theological experts. They don't call the council of bishops. Really important, Peter and the rest of the disciples will become the council of bishops. They don't ask them. God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion happens, just happens. And it's ours, whether we believe it or not. But the resurrection really is, though, a difference maker. It's a, it's a life giver. And, and what you do with that knowledge that the God of all creation loves you and forgives you and has the power over all eternity, that's going to make a difference in your life. Now, it doesn't make a difference eternally. That's not what I'm talking about. That's already done. Death and resurrection of the Son of God does not hinge on what I think. The love of God doesn't depend on what you think or you believe. But what I do with that truth, what I do with that knowledge that Christ is victorious over even death, that's going to make all the difference in my life and all the difference in the life of those I'm connected to and all the difference in the life of the world that I'm part of. The resurrection of Christ has the power to change everything in this world. Easter calls us to put down our burial spices, walk away from all the tombs that pull us toward them, put away all the other things of death, all the things that are squeezing life out of us, and embrace a resurrected life that God gives us through Jesus Christ. My favorite poet, and used to be preachers talking about poets all the time, but that's, that's not a good way to preach anymore. But my, my favorite poet, despite the fact that he's from Kentucky, um, my favorite poet is a guy named Wendell Berry. He's written some great poems. Um, and my favorite is a poem called Testament. And he wrote the poem um, to offer his family these instructions at his funeral. Uh, it's in my will for my children to read 
and my funeral. But here's a line I like. He says, don't muck up my face with wax and powder and rouge. Treat me even when I'm dead as a man who has a place to go and something to do. There are people sitting in this room right now with you today who, who know what it felt like to be buried alive, who know what it felt like to be in tombs of suffering, and frankly, to know what it felt like to be in tombs of success. There are people sitting right next to you who know what the tomb of pain feels like. They know what it feels like to be covered in grief. There are people who know what it feels like to be without hope. We get death. We get it. We get it too well. We live in a culture of death. But there are also people sitting in this room, and not just in the band, who are singing our hearts out today because we have experienced the risen Christ, called us out of our tombs, gave us life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything right now. You see, resurrection, it isn't about some systematic theology. It isn't about geography. It isn't about cosmology. It it isn't really about somewhere else. It isn't about heaven or hell. You can read the Easter stories all you want. Not one of those things is mentioned in it. Resurrection is about coming to life. Coming to life. And I don't know what kind of tomb you're in, and I don't know how big the rock is over the tomb, and I don't know who's guarding it. I don't know how long you've been in that tomb. But I do know this. Jesus Christ took all this world had to offer, suffered, died, was buried. And Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And you don't have to stay in that tomb because the funeral's over. The funeral is over. Amen? Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.